A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Scott Barrows, who is the CEO and co-founder of Blue Palette. Blue Palette is an industry marketplace in the chemical industry, and you guys have actually had heard us talk about it previously when Austin Britz was on the show. Scott has experience in a lot of digital. Previously, he built a marketplace platform in the event ticketing industry that was eventually acquired by Live Nation slash Ticketmaster. He's taken those learnings along with some other insights, and he and his team have worked together to develop Blue Palette. Scott, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Glad to have you here. What is your origin story? Like, How did you get into this world of digital? And then how did you take that from where you were with event ticketing into the chemical industry? We are just talking before we hopped on here, and I was learning about your history and how involved you've been with the chemical industry for pretty much the entirety of your career. My, my path is slightly different. As you mentioned, we've built a platform before for the event ticket industry, and that's kind of where I learned about platforms and network and network effects. And when my responsibilities were done with Live Nation Ticketmaster, it was about seven years ago. You mentioned Austin. Austin and I went to school together, and then another gentleman, Kevin Fuller, they'd been trading chemicals for about 15 years out of college. And I was always really intrigued by the industry and would always ask them, like, what's it like to do a typical transaction? How does that happen? What needs to be done? How long does it take? I was amazed on how large the industry was. Also, how long it would take to do a typical procurement process. Our origin kind of started where we found out that there is the National Association of Chemical Distributors annual meeting happening down in San Antonio. We just decided to fly down there on a whim for myself and Austin. I'd printed out a flip book of images of the platform that we built for a different industry and literally just put isopropanol on every single one and then just kind of walked around the meeting room and said, hey, would anyone sit down and look at something that we built for a previous industry? Just kind of curious if we could provide any value for your industry. We don't even know if we're necessarily going to give it a shot, but we're just kind of curious. We got mixed results on that. It's like, we're good. We've been running this industry for a long time and it's going to continue to run that way. But good luck on your project and respectfully and the other half of the room were kind of like, we know something's coming, but we just haven't seen anyone take the time to respect our industry. Everyone, there's all these other B2B, one size fits all platforms, and everyone sees that we're this really huge industry as well. And they're trying to cram us in that. People don't understand the complexities of our products, the complexities of our logistics, the complexities of the regulations tied to them. Until people take the time to do that, the risk isn't worth the reward. That was really interesting to hear as well. And so we knew that if we were going to embark on this journey, that really going to have to take the time to learn and listen before we even started building anything. We were actually members of the NACD for three and a half years before we even actually even had a product, like an MVP. No um, kidding. 
You were in listening and learning mode for a very long time. We were flying around in Mineral Wells, Texas and Tuttle, Oklahoma, and walking around different chemical plants and distribution centers and warehouses, talking to all different levels of warehouse managers and VPs of sales and CFOs. We're like, what scares the hell out of you about digital commerce for chemicals? And what do we need to be taken into consideration? And then we would just create an iteration and then be like, okay, what are we missing still? And I have so much thanks to the NACD leadership. That's who we we really leaned on through the early years of just saying like, hey, push us on this. Like, you don't have to back us. You don't have to say like everyone use Blue Palette. They were ecosystem back then. The onus is on us. We're the ones saying we want to come into your industries. It's our responsibility to create a safe and secure way for your members to do commerce. So push us. And they did relentlessly, but it paid off. And so that's kind of been our path. We've been at it for six plus years. But yeah, the first three and a half years were like, we just didn't, we didn't even have a product. It was just like taking notes, meeting people, hearing their concerns, hearing what they want to be built in an ideal situation. And also really understanding what was important to a distributor versus a supplier versus a manufacturer or like an end user or consumer. What have you guys learned through that? I've obviously learned a lot through that time. And I think we're still in many ways in early days. So I started doing e-business and chemicals 20 years ago, as crazy as it is. And to a certain degree, much has not changed. And I think there's just a lot of barriers. What do you see as the biggest barriers to digital and chemicals today? Well, it depends. Are you talking about on the technology side or are you talking on the in the eyes of like maybe distributor or supplier? Maybe. How about both? Let's talk about adoption, but then let's talk about the actual digitization side as well. But start with adoption. What's the biggest barrier to getting people to adopt digital? I think it's time and resources. And then the last one's trust. We've been working really hard. We acknowledge that when we talk to our members and also prospective members and be like, where's the friction here? What can we at least do to remove that? When you look at time and you look at resources, we've worked really hard continuing to rescope our product. While we have an extremely like high-tech vetting process for the companies that come on, we've reduced that to 15 minutes. We check over 2,000 different data points on a company that go through this trade pass application. It goes to the trade pass application. We have new members that come on and they buy the same day. And then for a seller... That takes typically up to a week. We've got a new customer success team. So that helps the onboarding and the digitization of products and so forth. So we want to reduce the time as much as possible for someone to get on because we understand that time is so valuable in this industry. Sure. I think resources was a big thing too when VP of sales or your C-suite executive and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, well, I know we just did an ERP integration and that took us 18 months. Like, I don't want to go through that of again. Pure pain like, and, and, and agony. <laughs> platform is going to even get me one sale. Like there's no way. It's absolutely not apples to apples. And the average member or company on our platform only has one user. Someone comes on, they have a trade pass administrator, our customer success team takes them through the onboarding process, which for a buyer, it's the same day for a seller, it's a week. And then they're up and running and they really only need one resource. Typically a company the kind of the successful way of doing it so far is they'll get one administrator that can get the products up and then you find an account executive or a procurement agent that's either youthful in age or youthful in spirit that really wants that likes technology and wants to try out new things and say, all right, here are the parameters that we'll give you to operate on this and give this a shot for us. You can start moving some product or find a new buying opportunities. If we hear that you're seeing success, then we'll continue on it. It's not where you need to get on the intercom and tell the thousand employees that we're all shipping to 
this new platform and this is how we're going to do business. It's we, we changed it to where like the amount of resources is literally just one or two max to get the things going. It's interesting because the other piece I think that's a barrier across the industry is the concern about loss of relationship. So I think the chemical yeah. industry prides itself on being very relationship oriented. Buyers and sellers know each other well and maybe know each other for years. And so the concern I think is that, oh, if they go digital and digital to a marketplace platform, that they lose that relationship. How do yeah, you address that? We're addressing that in our 2.0 version, to be honest. And so that's something that's been at the forefront of all of our decisions. It's been a six plus year journey. And we go to all the NACD meetings. We're a member of the ACC now. We go to those meetings. We really get to learn like the different individuals, the personalities. When we first started as a platform, we focused so much on the company, which was important. We're like, we, we need to focus on how do we bring value to the company and then how we allow them to transact safely and so forth. But as we learn about the industry more and how it operates and how the chemical industry is so much different than any other entity or any other industry or sector, it's the individuals that are the most important. Negative thing that could ever happen from digitization of commerce that you would ever dilute or lose the value of a relationship in the chemical industry. While we were excited that our 1.0 version, which is up and running now and people are seeing a lot of success on, it's really focused on Companies coming on and being able to do an end-to-end transaction, move the money, both the logistics, all that's working. That's great. But we wanted to push ourselves further because we're like, okay, everyone, and and you mentioned too, you're like, I've seen companies from the last 20 plus years that have come into this space. People have come with either storefronts or a way to do a, a marketplace where a buyer and seller connect and then someone sits in the middle. That model may be good for 10% of the types of transactions, either that happen now or they're going to happen in the next five years when stuff gets digitized. The other 90% of transactions that happen are exactly what you were saying. These are generational type relationships that have happened between family-owned businesses that have been working with suppliers within their community or their region. These are major suppliers that have longstanding relationships with distributors. There's no way, or should I ever expect as someone that runs a platform that I could go to a major supplier that's been doing business with a major distributor and say, hey, guess what? I have created this much more efficient way for you to be able to do your transaction online. What I'd like to do is get you to do that online and then I'm going to take 4%. Absolutely Mm -hmm. no way, especially in an industry that's so highly commoditized. What we've been pushing ourselves at is like, we're not a distributor. We'll never be a distributor. We'll never own product. We are a technology platform and that is it. How do we absolutely get out of the way and just empower the individuals within this industry? What we were building in 2.0, I can't go too far into it, (laughs) but what it really does is it it emboldens and empowers the individuals. If you are a good account executive, if you're a good procurement agent, also if you're a good company doing the right things, that we are going to highlight that and we're going to highlight you and all we are, we are the horse and you're the knight and we will Mm. give you whatever tools we can possibly give you or you continue to tell us what tools to build and allow you to build your network and connections to do business directly. And we get out of the way. If a company connects with a company directly on our platform, distributor A and supplier D connect. If they make a direct connection, we take no service fee on that. Supplier charges a dollar a pound, the distributor buys it for a dollar a pound. We move that money, we don't touch it. That's going to move down to an individual level on 2.0. We're trying to understand, appreciate, and respect how relationships work in the chemical industry and how important they are and do that through technology. Right now, the platform is about discovery and transactions. 
And then it's migrating to kind of ongoing relationship-based transactions. Is that right? That's my interpretation. Yeah, no, I think that's a really fair assessment. Right now, where distributors and suppliers are seeing early wins, we focus a lot on SMEs. We've got all sizes and we've got some of the top five on there, but like our real core focus is on SMEs. And so some of the best stories we've seen are like regional distributors that may, for example, are in the East Coast or Midwest. And they may only sell out of four or five states, but on yeah. the platform, they can use our permission-based controls and say, I want to also broadcast this to California. And they've never sold a drum of acetic to get in California ever. They would never even try, but it costs them nothing to just also broadcast it in that state or in the entire West Coast. And all of a sudden, they're seeing that they're getting orders from the West Coast and they're actually mm-hmm. selling into these new regions that they would never have been able to do and because of how our pricing model works on the marketplace component, where we just, we mark our rate up, I think 4%, they get the dollar back that they want per pound or kg or whatever. Right. It's not charging them anything. They're able to just put it on there, see if they get a hit. They're starting to find that like, I've got a really strong position on this product that I have coming into Newark and it's really tight on the West Coast. I'm actually even able to go up 10 or 15% and it's able to travel cross country. Those ones have been great. And then you've got... Some of the things too that have been really interesting are we have suppliers that have been utilizing the platform to source tail and spend. They're coming back and buying from distributors. Some of the suppliers have been our biggest buyers. And then also we've got end customers that have maybe overbought. So then maybe they're like a soap company or soap manufacturing company, or maybe they were producing products for COVID-19 and they just have an excess of hydrogen peroxide or isopropanol or whatever they can now, instead of sending it to a landfill or incinerator, they can just easily in a couple of clicks, post that back up to the network and sell that, maybe get back at least 50% on the dollar, maybe even more if that product's gone up. It's really interesting to see how everyone's utilizing the system. Everyone's different. What's the typical profile of a company or a business that's using your platform today? Yeah. It's funny, like we've been tracking it and we had assumptions and they're all wrong. <laughs> I that's mean, what I assumptions that, are all about. Yeah, right. Kind of by design, we just left it open where we refer ourselves to ourselves as a decentralized platform. And we don't want to have just a fixed flow of a transaction. We don't want to be just a supplier to an end customer or just a distributor to an end customer because that's not how the chemical industry works, especially when times get tough and supply chain gets messed up. Allowing any member to come on to either buy or sell, I think is really important. And especially like on that example where the suppliers have actually been some of the biggest buyers is critical. I would say like the main like persona that we focus on is, is the SME. The 250 million and below is kind of like the main size company that we're looking at uh-huh. to get in and start trying out the system. And those are the ones that are seeing kind of the biggest and quickest gains because they don't have maybe the marketing dollars or the sales dollars that they can go out and try new regions without that being really heavy on capital. And so it's like, let's spread your territory. Let's spread your footprint. Or they can source products off the platform and flip it to their customers. An SME would have to say like, okay, I've identified that I've got five customers that are buying this particular product somewhere else. I now need to make a decision. Am I going to invest in that and do the MOQ with my supplier and then cross my fingers that they're going to fill up these orders? And then that's a huge amount of risk on my balance sheet. Like they don't have to do that anymore, or at least they have another option where we have customers that are sit on the system and they'll have a customer on the phone. They'll pull up the Blue Palette Marketplace and they're like, oh, you need caustic or acetic? Yeah. Like, yeah, we've got that. 
And yeah. they literally can drop ship it double blind off our platform and send it right to their customer's warehouse. And it looks like it's coming from them. And they can just put their markup in their own ERP system. It really empowers. I'm not trying like doubt if you're listening, I'm not telling you not to use it. I'm saying like SMEs though, it's like they're the ones that have probably the most to gain immediately because there's so many efficiencies without having to spend capital. Let me do an, uh, somebody do an acronym check here. So in this context, SME stands for small and medium sized enterprise. I got to that place eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is businesses under 250, 500 million. That's not a small okay. business by any means. Those that can't otherwise invest in their own platforms, perhaps, or just need the extra resources and capabilities. You know, going back to the point you had the question earlier on like um, studying what's happened before in the past, like not only are we studied the platforms and the chemical industry that have come and gone, but also how technology digitization of commerce has affected other industries that have mm-hmm. maybe a little bit further along. And the SMEs, <laughs> the small and medium-sized enterprises have the most to gain and the most to risk. And like you said, they're in a vulnerable position. Like all of a sudden, if I'm a $50 million a year distributor out of Massachusetts or New Jersey, I shouldn't have to be responsible for also building a digital platform to be able to promote my products or even creating a full web store or website is a big thing to ask a company that's focused on chemicals. I think one thing that we pride ourselves in is like, we're going to be the ones that will provide you the greatest tool you can possibly ask for. And you can continue to ask us to build it for you. Everyone's going to get the same tool. No one's going to get that small distributor in Massachusetts or New Jersey is going to have the exact same tool as one of the world's largest suppliers. So we'll treat everyone equally and we do, but they'll have the same opportunity and they'll be on the same playing field. And then it's like, okay, well, who's going to service their customers best? Who's going to have the best order acceptance rate? Who's going to have the best on-time delivery? So then it really comes down to like, who's treating the customer the best, who's delivering the best. And that's what we want to shine. One of the areas that people have concern, I know, I mean, I personally have a concern when I think about it from a business lens is that, you know, a lot of value is based on the unique customer experiences that each company provides their customers. It's based on having just imperfect information. Let's be honest, right? To a certain degree, it's the fact that you have something I need, I have something you need that creates that dynamic, that creates the opportunity, creates value. And Mm. I think there's a concern sometimes that marketplaces creates this level of standardization and it takes away the unique value that company A provides or that distributor A provides to its customers. How do you get around that? Is this true? Do you see it manifesting differently? How does that play out? First off, I completely agree. It's been at the forefront, once again, of a lot of the decision-making. I've seen it happen in my previous industry and it was a cautionary tale to watch it develop where In the event ticket industry, our platform was built a lot for the resellers, ticket brokers, scalpers, whatever you want. It's the ticket resellers and or ticket brokers. And I guess you would probably deem them as the distributors in that kind of ecosystem. They're not the main suppliers, but they're buying and then reselling. It was really big for a long time of having an individual relationship, I guess, with the broker. Then all of a sudden, StubHubs and Vivid Seats and so forth came out. Pricing transparency was just at its max. Before, there was no transparency. It was like, whoever I could find their number in the local newspaper and call them, that's where I got my pricing. Everybody knew what the price was for a particular ticket in a particular game in a particular section and row. And then as a seller, 
less and less it became important to who you are, or if you did business with integrity, or if you were always delivering your tickets on time or having the right location or anything like that, or if you had a personal relationship or took that customer out to a game yourself, that was all gone. It went to, can I be the lowest price by 50 cents? And then if I can, I'll get the next sale. I can't control the entire industry, obviously, but that's what we are working on avoiding in our platform. And the way that we were able to do it, one of the ways is that through like our permission-based marketplace controls, if I'm a seller and I'm a distributor and I have a drum of acetic acid, I don't know why I keep using acetic today, but I'm just going to roll with it. I could say that I want Victoria to see that drum, but I don't want Bob to see it. But I could also say I want Victoria to see it at a 2% discount, but I want Susie to see it at a 2% increase. You're talking about three people that are going to log into the Blue Pilot Marketplace and see a completely different view you're going to see different products and different prices. Basically Uh, managing back to kind of the individual relationship that buyers and sellers have today. Yeah, it's the individual relationship. And also it's an individual experience and a view of the market. When I look back at the previous industry, the biggest risk, and it's probably the same for this industry as well, is that I don't want pricing to become commoditized. And then I don't want to talk about models that were horrible for the industry or for a lot of the participants when they first came out, it was the reverse auctions. And they're like, I'm not going to sit here and be a part of some technology that really just makes me have to continue to bid down a penny until I'm the last one to tap out. That's also what can happen when pricing gets commoditized in a platform or marketplace. That's why this one aspect, if you, Victoria, logs onto the marketplace and you're looking at that acetic acid and you're trying to figure out what you're going to price yours at, you could come in one penny less than what I have mine at, but it doesn't mean that that's what Susie's going to see as the lowest price because I may be discounting to Susie. That helps keep remain friction in the marketplace and in pricing, mm-hmm. which I think is paramount for all distributors and all suppliers. Now, end customers and end buyers are still getting an immense amount of value by having access to more products, but we still want to keep some control and some security around the distributors and suppliers. The, that pricing friction has to remain there. And if not, then all of a sudden this, this becomes weaponized against suppliers and distributors. It erodes their value. It doesn't allow them to provide the value they want to back to customers. On the second part, talking about going back to that example where in the previous industry, myself as a distributor or, or a ticket broker, it didn't matter if I did business with integrity. It didn't matter what my logo was or what my company history was. It was just all I was was a wholesaler pushing out inventory and then hoping to be the lowest price. We're really building in the platform, being able to differentiate between a good distributor and a bad distributor or a better supplier and a good supplier. Ways that we'll do that in our technology is I can search for a company that has certain ISO certs or maybe be able to help my ESG initiatives or maybe if a woman-owned or minority-owned or LGBTQ-owned company. And so I may have spending initiatives where I need to check the boxes and do certain percentages through those certain groups. And then also, as we get more transactions going through the system, one of the positives that I saw in my previous industry was being able to track, as we mentioned before, how often is this person shipping their products on time? And how often is it being delivered on time? How quick are they to confirm an order? What is their order acceptance rate? What is the rating on the product that gets delivered? How many times has it been returned? Once you're able to provide that information back to a customer and that's going to be driving their decision-making, then that encourages either 
maybe some distributor suppliers that aren't quite providing the best service to do better. But then it also highlights the ones that are really doing business well. That allows the good ones to stand out. And that's what's so important. The marketplace is anonymous, that one component of our platform. And that's where the majority of the transactions are going now. But the majority of the transactions at the end of the day are going to go through the network. It's going to be the platform and technology getting out of the way and allowing parties and businesses to do transactions that they do right now, but just have a little bit better way of doing it. What factors do chemical companies need to consider when they start looking at online selling? What are the things that are important there? The first one is don't let the platform dictate what your strategy is. You dictate what your strategy is for your company. I think that's what's great too, that there's a lot of different technologies coming out now. What Blue Palette does may not fit exactly what someone else's strategy is. And that's why it's great that there's other platforms that are out there and like, okay, well, we want X and that's not exactly what Blue Palette specializes in, but this other one's great in that. Or we're looking at getting to a certain region. There's other marketplaces that are out in that region and maybe Blue Palette's not there. Don't let a technology dictate your plan. You dictate your plan and then you find the technology that's able to provide it for you, I think is really important. Number two, and one that's gotten missed by a lot of platforms and that I think the industry needs to continue to demand that it becomes a priority is network integrity. That was one of the first things, if not the first thing that any city leadership and members had said, you have to get this right. What does that mean? so, So that means like you go on like an Amazon business. I have no idea really who that individual is that's buying platform or what their intentions are. They haven't been vetted. I don't know if they have a DEA certification tied to their warehouse or anything like that, what their use case is. That's where you go like an open marketplace. Anyone's going on there buying product. I have no control. I'm unable to adhere to responsible distribution. And that's a huge concern. And also if I have regional restrictions, say with the supplier and I'm only allowed to sell in the Midwest, I go up on an open marketplace. Someone buys it in New Mexico. I've all of a sudden gone against my contract, my supplier, and I can lose that. So the network integrity, having a closed network and private network, I think is critical. I think that it should be table stakes for any system that's allowing someone to buy or sell chemicals to absolutely be able to vet and verify the identity of not every, even every company, but every individual that's on that platform as well. I just feel like a lot of the other platforms have fallen short on that so far. And I've challenged everyone to really take that into consideration you know, as I was saying in that original story, it's like a lot of the reason why people have been staying on the sideline is that the risk isn't worth the reward. We took almost a year to go through with like DEA and DHS and DOT and EPA, bring in the chemicals of interest list and all those different list one, list two. How do those interact with each other? What permissions need to be put in place? What certifications need to be tied to a warehouse to allow someone to be able to ship it to that warehouse? What certification or like authorized signature needs to be on in place? for someone to be able to buy or sell that within an organization. It's like, none of that's sexy, none of that's fun, but it's required or it should be required. Maybe if you're just selling like a completely non-hazardous product, you don't have any regional restrictions, it's not a big deal. Like it wouldn't be that big. It's not that big a risk. Maybe I would be more willing as a seller, if I put myself in the shoes, to put that on a platform. And you see that a lot on Amazon business where people are just putting non-has commoditized products on there totally fine. Like use as many channels as you can, as long as the risk isn't there. But as soon as you start getting into hazardous products, as soon as you get started in DHS, chemicals of interest or something like that, like you got to make sure that technology is supporting you and providing an environment that is safe and secure for you to do that business. Right. 
Yeah, I, that makes sense. And I think that's absolutely been one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of companies, I think, is the fact that buyers and sellers have to be vetted. Not just credit worthiness, which in some ways is maybe the easiest, but it is, as you t- say, that they're able to accept and safely use the products that are being sold to them, et cetera. Having that integrity is critical. It's, it's a big part of what scary. happens today before a sale is even made. There's a lot yeah. of vetting that goes on in yeah. real life before right. a sale is made that needs to happen as you introduce potentially new customers to a marketplace. And that's one of the things we worked with our members on is like, what do you do currently to onboard a new customer? And what do you look at to make sure that you feel comfortable doing commerce with them? Yeah. And so in our trade pass technology, we started with five vetting items that a member can set their own, I guess, levels of what they want. So they, the ones that our members told us they wanted to check was aggregated insurance levels, so they could say anybody that I'm doing business with has to have at least a million dollars of insurance or 2.5 million or whatever it is. We check that on every company and monitor it every 30 days. Their credit risk score, liens and violations. So if all of a sudden someone gets a bankruptcy lien or anything like that, they're notified right away. So they're not the ones caught catching the falling knife. Days beyond term, if that all of a sudden starts creeping up, they're notified as well. And then the last one, which was kind of a surprise for us, but the fifth one is social presence. It was important for members that like this is their domain handle or for their email. I want to make sure they at least have a website or I want to, they have to have a website plus a Twitter handle or something like that. But yeah, that, was that they're a legitimate company. They have 300 followers or whatever. Like, okay, I trust that. Those five items are the first ones that we put in there. What it does is allow members to make connections quicker. And then on the trade pass process and onboarding, we vet and verify and link with bank accounts as well. So if our two companies connect and you within the parameters that I, maybe my CFO or whatever it's set for who we feel comfortable trading with, we can do a transaction that day. If I find a product that you have and I like, and the system set the terms and I'm like, this is net 30. The system knows when to pull the money, it gets sent via ACH and everything's done. One of the other like success stories that companies are having is they're taking maybe, maybe some of their more kind of like more of an at-risk customer or one that's like, would be a little bit more difficult to onboard and say like, Hey, we're going to, broadcast or share a catalog with you on Blue Palette. You have to get vetted through their trade pass and then you'll see our products at our cost. And then just you'll be able to buy and sell through there. But at least it allows them to monitor them and without any cost. The questions here is, you know, digital adoption, especially for marketplaces, was certainly helped by the supply disruptions we saw over the last couple of years, right? All of a sudden when COVID hit, when the world went topsy-turvy, it was hard to get products and people were scrambling for new suppliers. There was absolutely an interest in figuring out how do I capture and find new suppliers or find new customers? And that helped, right? Let's be honest. That certainly helped digital adoption. As we start to settle out, assuming we do, right? We've got a lot of other disruptions <laughs> like at play. What do you see as the future of e-commerce and chemicals? Because in some ways, I think we're at some inflection points. But what do you see as the point of where we are and where we're going? You're absolutely right that this kind of forced some people's hands. When you're super comfortable and everything's going your way, you really don't have a lot of motivation to change anything. When things get tough, then all of a sudden you're kind of forced to find new solutions. I think one of the biggest shames that could happen from like the last two years is that we don't learn anything from it and we just go back Mm -hmm. to how we were or assume that just because we made it through the hard part that this is just never going to happen again. Instead of just looking at two years, if we zoom out 50 years, I think anybody that's been in the industry for a while will all agree that 
there's a continuous flow and tipping back and forth between supply and demand and supply. Yeah. This is just another, another example. At the very beginning of COVID, when it hit, distributors were getting hit hard and they were really eager to find additional channels. Uh, their operations were getting hit. They weren't able to bring people in. Like they're having a tough time connecting with their customers, like whole slew of challenges. So that was a good time for us as a platform to talk to distributors and suppliers. They were more eager to get on. Then all of a sudden, supply got so tight. The end customers, the people that are trying to produce certain products, their their regular channels are dried up. So now they're desperate to find some drum or tote to make mm-hmm. sure that they can keep their production line open. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's bought hopefully just enough, but maybe some people bought too much. And maybe some, people, some people's warehouses are getting a little bit too full on the yeah. distribution or supplier side. And now they're going to be more eager to find additional channels. And customer side or the producer side, they're like, oh, now all of a sudden my rep, it, my local distributor is calling me again and they've got supply in their warehouse. So like, it's going to continuously go up and down on both sides. What we see ourselves as a platform is like, we don't want to be relying on the transaction. We want to be relying on the providing the value of just the continuous connections and commerce. And I also I hope that everyone can see on the supply side and the buy side is that there is value in supply chain resiliency and building a larger network. It's completely fine to like the guy that you've gone on 20 fishing trips with and you built the best relationship, that person should continue to be your supplier, distributor, or whatever. That's important. Have that relationship. But that person may run out of product again and you don't want your plant to shut down. How do you keep from that happening? You build a larger network. You connect to other individuals, other companies, other sources that you can find to make sure that if for some reason Bob or whoever can't get that drum that you need, then you've got a backup source on that. Same thing with suppliers and distributors. Like You have a book of business and a Rolodex, and that's a good amount of business for you. But once all of a sudden you've got overflow or you've got too much in your balance sheet or too much in the warehouse, like you're going to need additional channels because the customers you have can't consume that excess, at least investing a small amount of time to get that set up. And maybe it's not as valuable at maybe this date, but it's in place. So you're ready to go. But then it's like, you think everything's fine. And then all of a sudden a hurricane hits Florida and you're like, oh, the plant that we source out of is at Gainesville. And so yeah. now we get that product. It's like, oh, how do we react? It's like, don't be so reactionary. Be ahead of the curve and like plan for it ahead of time now. Like, let's learn from this experience. I do really believe that when technology and digitization is done right, and it has also the component of building a network and allowing individuals to connect to each other, that is really going to reduce the pain and suffering that we had to go through this last two years. Interesting. That's great. I guess maybe one final question, and we may have touched on some of this. What's next for Blue Palette? Six years in, what's the next year going to bring? It's just continuing to do this, continuing to listen. Mm-hmm. It really is. That's how we've gotten to where we're at for the last six years. Everything's completely built on the feedback and ideas and thoughts and concepts of distributors and suppliers of the chemical industry. What we just need to continue to do is just close our mouths, understand what our role is, is that we are here to support and we're here to support through technology and then just continue to listen and then build and continue to listen and build and repeat. And that's it. We're here to serve the chemical industry in any way that we can do through technology. Well, that's awesome. Scott, thank you for joining me today. This has been great. I love hearing your perspective about what's going on in the world of chemicals and digital. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Victoria. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening to The Chemical Show. Keep listening, following, and sharing. And we'll talk to you again soon. 
We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.